0: Hi, I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, great you could drop by this week. I hope we've got some great things for you on the show. I'm sure we have. So stay tuned and let's get started. Well, there's some good news this week coming out of the port of Antwerp Bruges and the Next Gen District, which is a circular economy project where they're trying to create the circular economy in practice at the port. And Pure Cycle Technologies have put a bid into this project to build a recycling plant for polypropylene. It's a new plant, it's going to have an annual capacity of about 59,000 metric tonnes, and it's got opportunities to make that bigger, because it's got a very big plot size, about 140,000 metres square, and that can support up to four processing lines. And that gives it a total possible capacity of 240,000 metric tons a year. The plant's construction will start in 2024 after the full permission is given and, uh, well, not sure quite how long it's going to take to build but it should be fantastic. So we wish them luck with that project and it sounds a really good initiative to get that plastic waste down, down, down. I saw an interesting piece by Mario Paganini, who was a guest on the Chain Reaction podcast just a few weeks ago. And he's talking about value for money, doing more with less. And he's saying that the public markets are contracted and the cost of traditional marketing activities, digital ads, sponsorships, events, etc. are rising. The macro trends will ultimately force many marketing teams, he says, to focus on more fundamentals. And I think he's right. And I've been saying this for some time. You need to keep your costs down and you need to make sure that you're Opportunities are maximised, but not to go crazy spending money. So you need to focus on the value-added things that you can do in your organisation to make things work better. Hapak Lloyd announced this week a new Asia Europe service, and they call it FE9. It's an agreement with CMA, CGM. They offer one service option on the Ocean Alliance product and it was announced a few weeks ago. There's been a dramatic decline in demand from Asia to Europe and North America, which have forced carriers to be busy cancelling sailings to attempt to avoid too much overcapacity. And this has led to a reduction in their service coverages. If demand remains depressed, creating a more complicated web of services across the various alliances will be needed. That's what Lars Jensen said, and he's a leading expert in the container shipping industry. The port of Georgia handled 6 million tonnes of TUs, 20 equivalent units, during 2022. And that's pretty good, isn't it, for a port the size of Georgia? So congratulations to them. Now, I belong to the Purchasing and Global Supply Chain Professionals group on LinkedIn. And for anybody interested in purchasing and global supply chains, I'd recommend you join this too, because there's some good content that comes from them. And James E. Martin, who runs the group, put a piece out last week which was revealing. He talks about a survey that they conducted at the close of 2022, which he says was sombre and disturbing. The survey questions submitted to the group asked, How much does your organisation spend on procurement, technology, vendor management, supplier insight tools, RFP software. He notes that 58% of the respondents indicated that their organization spends less than 100,000 US dollars and over half of the organization's members are not making a serious investment into procurement technology. And he goes on to say that it would seem there's been little change since the 1980s. If people started their career in the 1980s they might notice not a great deal of difference. But supply chains these days are very different in the demands placed upon them. So there does need to be more investment and there does need to be an understanding at board level that investment needs to be made to keep those supply chains effective. And if you want to achieve supply chain efficiency and you want to be effective in serving your customers, then you've got to invest. So, simple message, but very clear. Rethink, refocus, invest. Now we hear stories about climate change almost daily. And the threats are serious. We've got rising sea levels, more severe weather disruptions, and it's not surprising that this has a great impact on ocean-going supply chains. So if you think about goods travelling on ships, it's more and more difficult to face up to the challenges. And many ports are impacted by these delays that occur on the high seas. For those managing those supply chains, they have to balance the cost, balance the risk, and work around weather delays and weather problems. Maritime trade has always faced these sorts of problems, but they are increasingly more difficult with the impact of climate change. And ports, of course, have to invest a great deal of time and money in making sure that they're efficient in handling the ships when they arrive. As we know, there have been difficulties at various ports over the past couple of years with queues lining up of ships waiting to enter the port, waiting to unload, and when they unload, the dwell times for those container boxes have been exceptionally high, and it's difficult then to keep everything in balance. There was a report out this week, a University of Oxford study, Splash 247, which talks about 9 of 10 major ports exposed to climate hazards. It was done by the Environmental Change Institute and it indicated that nearly 9 in 10 ports globally exposed to these damaging climate hazards with escalating economic impact on global trade. It's mainly because the locations are on coasts or close to rivers which they say are hazard prone and the resulting physical damage to infrastructure and disrupted operations has far-reaching consequences. They took a look at 1,340 ports, the most important ports globally, and they used geospatial data to understand the impacts of things like earthquakes, cyclones and flooding. And they looked at local conditions with wind speeds, waves and temperatures. They say that 86% of all ports are exposed to more than three types of climatic and geophysical hazards. And Jasper Vachur, who is the research lead on this one, said expect extreme conditions at sea to cause operational disruptions to around 40% of ports globally, flooding, earthquakes. And this has implications for port design. So, people designing the ports have to think about the impact of these changes and see if they can work around solving problems that they might face. So, very interesting report, and you can pick that up from. Uh, the University of Oxford. Now, there was a really interesting piece by Loriann Larocco, CNBC, and she points out four troubling global trade trends, flashing consumer weakness for a market already fearing recession. And she says that factory orders in China for the United States companies are down between forty and fifty percent. So that's nearly half, isn't it? Half of the trade, half of the orders. Incoming global ocean freight bound for the US is also down. And cancelled sailings around the world, which is what we've just mentioned earlier, are skyrocketing, she says, which indicates a future decrease in demand. And this is at a time when normally we see trade at high levels. And banks around the globe are reporting recession forecasts. And Mersk has also said recently that demand is pointing towards recession. So, cause for concern. In detail the four trends are firstly warehousing inventory. Warehouse inventory usually a good indicator of the health of consumer demand. And if warehouses are turning over products and moving goods through quickly, you've got a good inkling that uh, demand is strong. But there've been massive inventory pileups during the summer from some of the biggest retailers in the United States, Walmart and Target, and the picture's similar elsewhere. More consumers are buying things online rather than in store. And that's changing the way, that kind of change in behaviour is changing the way warehouses have to manage their space and, of course, how those goods are moving through perhaps quicker than normal when demand is high. So this is about capacity, it's about space. The second indicator, of course, is the number of manufacturing orders placed. And we've mentioned that drop in It's a dramatic drop, of course, in orders coming from China. And that's all to do with the difficulties of getting goods out of China with the COVID lockdown policies and zero tolerance. So there's a drop in demand, of course. There's also a drop in demand for freight to move goods from those places. And that's all a downturn. It's a signal of a downturn in the economy. And the final indicator, of course, is the blank sailings. These are cancelled sailings. It's a tool that ocean carriers used to artificially constrict available vessel capacity, and it affects the ocean freight rates. So as the orders for manufacturing drop, so too demand for shipping, as we said, and that pushes down the freight rates. And then it's a really interesting piece by uh, Lorianna LaRocco, because uh, she highlights some of the numbers involved, it does a comparison between 2019 and 2022. In a normal year, she says, we tend to see very few blank sailings in the run-up to the major Chinese holiday as shippers have stocked up on inventories. That's a quote from Peter Sand, who's the chief analyst at Zanetta. So it all looks very uncertain. Blank sailings between Asia and North Europe were 715% up and between the Far East to the US East Coast up by 340%. Well, wow, confirmation of difficulties, I think, and uncertainty. You may recall that in December there was a 90% year on year drop in ocean freight rates for cargo from China bound to the US West Coast, which was surprising to many. So we live in uncertain times. I read an interesting piece by Veronica Bates Cassattly this week, and it was looking at fashion on climate, the impact of fashion on the climate. And Veronica was talking about a 2020 report authored by McKinsey and Company in partnership with the Global Fashion Agenda. And she goes on to say that a slightly modified version just appeared in the business of fashion stroke McKinsey, the state of fashion 2023. And this is about a chart that attributes the impact of fashion's lifetime GHG emissions. Most reports, she says, point that only 10% is attributed to fibre production, and 60% to manufacturing. But the McKinsey report finds that 38% can be attributed to fibre production and only 33% to manufacturing. And many don't think that those numbers are accurate. And she goes on to give an analysis of what those numbers are and how you calculate them. So there does seem to be some dispute in the accuracy of the numbers. And this can have a big impact on the actions that people take So accuracy of numbers are important. So perhaps we need some further studies with more accurate data, and perhaps they need to be sponsored by independent research organisations so that we can have some trust in the data. As supply chains become more dependent on the systems and the technology that we use to run them, the threat, of course, comes from cyber attacks. And I was reading a report of an attack on the port of Lisbon, which happened on Christmas Day. And the cyber criminals were able to get hold of budgets and financial data. And they threatened to publish that if the port didn't pay a ransom demand. I think it was one and a half million dollars US. And that sort of thing appears more frequently. The Royal Mail in the United Kingdom has also been the subject of a recent cyber attack. And that's disrupted parcel traffic between the United Kingdom and international destinations. So these threats are becoming bigger and more impactful when they happen. So paying attention to defending the systems that you put in place on your supply chain are increasingly important. You shouldn't just think because it's a back office system that no one's interested because evidently they are. Know a sad story coming from the UK this week. The British Fold factory that I've talked about on a number of occasions in the Chain Reaction podcast finally went into administration. And this was a project that was meant to be a savior for the British automobile industry. It was the only plant being built to develop battery technology for electric cars in the United Kingdom. And with all the targets that the United Kingdom has to meet, manufacturing targets so that it can say that uh, it's a UK based car, that will be disrupted by the fact that there's no battery capability in the UK. And for months, the British Volt factory has been struggling with its cash flow. And the problem with such a big investment is you have to put a lot of cash, a lot of capital into a business like that to develop the plans and get it running. And it's a year or two away from producing anything to sell which means that all that capital has to be put in up front and the government had committed to a hundred million pounds of investment but because of problems at the plant they say they didn't go ahead with putting that cash in so a lot of effort a lot of time a lot of energy To develop the plant, and it's in a good location in the northeast of England next to the Nissan automobile plant in that area. You'd think that the automobile industry would be able to find the resources to put money into that business for development, and you'd think that the government would want to also. So, very sad situation, but it does create a huge gap in the UK capability to create battery technology for its ambition to have all these electric cars it's a great shame really lots of jobs lost and of course a great opportunity lost i'm sure battery technology plants will come back but the problem is they cost a great deal of money they drain the cash and there's no revenue coming in until you start producing the batteries and pushing those out so a tragedy it's almost shakespearean Now, I was reading a piece this week from Reuters that said a 2016 video that Tesla used to promote its self-driving technology was actually staged to show capabilities such as stopping at a red light and accelerating at a green light. And these were capabilities that the system didn't have, according to a testimony by a senior engineering technologist. Well, isn't that surprising? Well, it's a bit reckless to make such a statement. When it's not true, it's at the least dishonest. And some might say, not very ethical. But it sounds a bit overstated. I'm guessing that uh, whoever made the claims originally might have grown a longer nose by now. Well, anyway, that's uh, typical, I think, when people want to over-promote products. They can do things that some might regard as not completely ethical. If you put out a video that says that... uh, You've got a capability that you don't actually have. If people act on it and decide to buy a Tesla car on the basis of the capabilities that they haven't got, you do wonder, don't you, if uh, some of the claims made by technology businesses seem to overstate the mark at times. I think what's more of a concern for us in supply chains is the fact that the push to automated trucks could be making claims that they have capabilities again that they don't actually have. And I don't know about you, but there's something uneasy for me about an automated truck. I think the human intervention between the technology in the truck and the conditions around are somewhat useful. And I'd much rather trucks were driven by people than technology, at least at the moment. I can understand on big open roads, perhaps in Australia, where there aren't many people around and you've got to cross Landscapes that are inhospitable to humans. That an automated truck might have potential to deliver goods efficiently. But uh, for me, I still like to see people in the cab. Well, that's it for this week. But just before I go, I want to tell you about some of the episodes coming up. Well, if you haven't caught up yet, economic outlook for twenty twenty three is out, and you can go and listen to that one and. See if you agree with some of the predictions. Problem solving in supply chains is also out. And that really is one to listen to, to ask the right questions to solve problems in your supply chain. And then next week, systems thinking will be out. Followed shortly afterwards by Supply Chain Pest. Special edition on plastic waste on February the 8th. And in conversation with Federico Crespo on February the 22nd. If you drop by the... Chain Reaction site and you look at forthcoming episodes, you'll see that the episodes for January and February are published and you can find out what's in those, preview them by just listening to that forthcoming episodes short podcast and then go and pick up any episodes that you've missed. In the meantime, it was great to have you along today. I hope you've enjoyed the news roundup and I'll be back in the midweek episode. And next Saturday with the news roundup for next week. Until then, I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage.